this is Contra Radio from Contra.Scot. Greetings parishioners, welcome to the Sunday Salmon with me, David Jameson. Is it too soon to draw a couple of long-run conclusions from George Galloway's stunning victory in Rochdale, his thud outside the big party system? The first conclusion is that in spite of first-past-the-post and its famous ability to protect the establishment from electoral challenge, the British party system is decomposing. Don't let Labour's poll position fool you. It's no surprise after 14 years of destructive Conservative government. The foundations of both major parties and the third and fourth parties are rotten and weak. A poll coinciding with Galloway's election found just 12% now trusted the parties. Second, British foreign policy in the Middle East is a key factor in that decomposition. Ignore the born-again provincials who have suddenly decided politics is exclusively about potholes. Britain's sovereignty-robbing attachment to US global power is eviscerating our domestic political leadership. Reading the scene in these terms is beyond some observers who are caught up in the spectacle. The focus on Galloway's alleged character only speaks to the gross immaturity of much of the have-a-go punditry. I'm not sure what condemnations of Galloway's egotism or rudeness are supposed to infer, but many on the liberal left are gripped by the utopian faith that a new man is coming. We might one day have a pitch-perfect sterile breed of haunted waxworks who all think and talk like a human resources department. The fact that so much of centre-left politics across the world now resembles just such a dead-eyed freak show with catastrophic consequences has yet to sully the dream. But it will never be realised anyway. The new house-trained humanity isn't coming. The same must be said for more substantive political differences at least where these are used to anathematise political actors. A pure left-wing movement, the living catechism of correct ideology, will also never materialise. Even just a few years ago, it was a hard argument to make that politics should not be conceived as a struggle between social liberalism and social conservatism. Then, I used the example of the mass anti-war movement of 2003 to illustrate the point. I'm glad this period was my introduction to movement politics. The historic context instantly ruled out the conclusion that social conservatives, or simply anyone not on the bleeding edge of the new moral values, were untouchables. It was not the case then, and it is not the case today, that Muslims represent an alien and atavistic social creed. But the sheer size and diversity of the movement, then as now, forbade the kinds of culture war coalitions established since 2016. The continued existence of broad social movements, made up of people who disagree on many things, is assured. When it comes to Galloway himself, no one should feel obliged to ignore his wrong-headed attitudes. But we are obliged to contextualise them in two ways. The first has been exemplified by Kevin Ovenden, who places Galloway's particular brand of left populism in its political conjuncture. Quotes, His actual political position and perspective is an evolution from the left popular insurgency of a decade ago. It is an answer to the crisis of that insurgency. 
that is not restricted to the collapse of Corbynism. See Delinca in Germany, Podemos in Spain, and above all else, Syriza in Greece. But as with populist left politician Sarah Wagenknecht in Germany, it is a wrong answer for the left and even in its own terms for the best that her perspective might achieve. In Scotland, we've more evidence than most of the dead ends to which Galloway's own opportunism can lead. He called for a vote for the Conservatives in the Scottish elections of 2021, the very party now denouncing him as illegitimate. The second effort of contextualisation is even more important. It is to understand what is happening right now in Britain. Galloway didn't vote himself into the position of MP for Rochdale. This is a point made by Arch Blairite, former Rochdale MP and Iraq war enthusiast Dennis McShane, who neatly summed up the political and media establishment's scurrilous dismissal of the by-election result. He complained of the, quote, superior tone of London political elites, insulting 12,000 voters and anyone angry with mass slaughter of innocence and refusal of UK political elite to call it out. Even hard-bitten defenders of the establishment can see how pathological the split between rulers and ruled is becoming. The centrepiece of the Westminster backlash was, of course, Rishi Sunak's use of a national address to condemn the Rochdale vote as representing the rise of extremism. The whole by-election was shrouded in claims of unseen Islamist conspiracies threatening democracy itself. Green MSP Ross Greer exemplified the unprincipled response to this rhetoric when he characterised Sunak and Galloway as two bad actors, each requiring repudiation. Sunak's appeal from the steps of number 10 would, he claimed, only strengthen Galloway, as if this is the real danger. To wedge a two extremist sides taken here ignores the obvious threat. One of these actors is the state, driving a dangerous, bigoted and anti-democratic agenda. The other is a man just elected on working-class votes and an anti-war platform, with Gaza the central issue. The timing of the election makes the victory part of the anti-war movement, whether some in that movement like it or not. There is no dual threat. What we should be concentrated on is the developing pincer movement where the state and street-level fake anti-establishment of the right attack together. There was a direct echo from the steps of Number 10 to the Reform Party in Rochdale, which implied the vote had been rigged and that a nationwide conspiracy of certain constituencies, the modish euphemism for Muslims, was planning an assault on democracy. Nigel Farage, another intrepid free speech warrior on the right, chimed in. He is in favour of the banning of at least some marches and said that those saying from the river to the sea, a traditional pro-Palestinian slogan about which so much froth has been produced in recent months, should be arrested. It's a sharp reminder of what a real politics of racist stigmatisation looks like. Mobilising the state, free-range quasi-establishment bigoted movements and the right-wing press. And it's precisely what the fashionable identitarian anti-racism of recent years is unprepared for. In their creed, racism is just a vapour hanging in the air. It is not created through social relationships at a mass level. The evil wind can attach itself to anyone and anything, and is just as dangerous when manifested by a nobody in the street as a head of state. It is the racism fought with film criticism, pop music, and adumbration of supposed microaggressions, 
The idea that racism doesn't come from the state and other powerful institutions, but instead grows from everyday interactions and finds nourishment from popular ignorance, is an intoxicating notion to the aloof. The true anti-racist is the person clean of infraction and educated in all the latest words and concepts used to understand whiteness or decolonial practice. It is, in other words, essentially a form of class politics reproduced by elites and wide open to manipulation by anti-racist political and media figures for their own purposes. We shouldn't be surprised that this new brand of anti-racism, so-called, collapses in the face of the sinister, instrumentally racist project being promulgated between Sunak, the Tory right reform in the press, and accepted and encouraged by Labour and their outriders. Declaring war on every house, from Galloway, and with him the mandate he has just won for an end to British support for the horrors in Gaza, to Sunak, is cowardly and unprincipled. But worse, it is anti-political. It is a retreat to a preening personal morality when the times demand a serious, mass public politics resisting war, the stigmatisation of the Muslim community and the attacks on all of our civil liberties. Recent months should have clarified much for those involved in the movement. We need unity, yes, even in the face of real and important differences and even more so the myriad unimportant differences thrown up in the culture war. We need organisation, sober analysis, and political discipline. It's time to drop the dead weight of moralist obscurantism and petty opportunism. If we don't, it will prove a danger in months and years to come, as an increasingly desperate state lashes out. Want more like this? Subscribe to Contra Radio on our SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up to our regular newsletter at contra.substack.com and find great articles and more at contra.scot. We really rely on listeners like you to help us grow. In return, you get access to exclusive content and events by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash contrascott.com.